Blog Talk Radio. You're about to hear a revolution in talk radio. Liberty Talk Radio, where the critical thinking will defrag your mind of propaganda-ridden viruses induced by mass media news programming. No BS here, just the facts. And now we present to you America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In Talk Radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's libertarian voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government, now before this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, and our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought, dissidents in action. Only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our Constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. Today, we are pleased and honored to have Ms. Chris Ann Hall. She's an attorney and a former prosecutor. She is the author of the ebook In Defense of Liberty, but most importantly, she's the founder of Liberty First University, which we're going to learn a lot about today, hopefully. Nope. Chris Ann, welcome to Liberty Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Oh. I'm excited to be here. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to be on our show. Well, I, first of all, I've got to ask you, are you in the path of the next hurricane coming through? Potentially. Oh, you don't <laughs> it's know It's raining yet. right now, and we've been spending the last two days sort of battening down the hatches and watching the path to see, you know, how much or how little, if all, we're going to get of it. Yeah. Well, I guess this is a good reason why you should have an underground house that's waterproof, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in Florida, an underground house would be a submarine because you go down too deep, you get water. Well, in, in Oklahoma, we don't have get hurricanes so much as we get tornadoes. So um, we get those too here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get it all. Okay. Well, I'm, I we guess, don't get earthquakes, so you guys get earthquakes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, now uh, apparently with the um, with the drilling, the um, uh, fracking, you know, for mm-hmm. oil, uh, my son live. One of my sons lives in Stillwater. He says on a daily basis they get tremors, very light but they get tremors almost every day. And yet they don't attribute that to the fracking at all. But it all started when they started fracking anyway, but that's the end of that. Okay, well, I I got so many questions for you. First of all, how did you go from an attorney to a freedom fighter? (laughs) Well, I I had my liberties interrupted by my former employer, and that's sort of how it happened. I was uh, teaching the Constitution. I had actually practiced... uh, First Amendment liberties law for two years with a private nonprofit law firm uh, as a sabbatical from my my job as a prosecutor. I went back to being a prosecutor with a brand new boss who didn't like how I was teaching the Constitution or who I was teaching it to. So he told me that I had and I was doing this all on my own time. I, uh, I was teaching middle schools, you know, public schools, school boards, uh, private groups and that sort of thing. And my boss told me that I had to stop teaching on my own time uh, or I had to stop working for him. 
Wait, wait, and wait. So, I, I'm, yeah. I'm confused. What does he have to do with your free time? I mean, uh, can, can you can you connect those dots for me? Because I lost you no. just there. <laughs> no, I can't. He said that uh, because I was teaching the Constitution as a limited government document, that that was a conflict of interest for anybody who worked for the government, and that I couldn't. I couldn't associate on my free time with what he classified as right-wing fringe groups. And because of that, I had to either quit my job with him uh, or stop meeting with these people. Well, that, that, that makes perfect nonsense to me. <laughs> perfect nonsense. You know, I hear that so often and it, it just galls me when I, and I hate saying this, when I watch mainstream television, which I hate myself for doing when I do do it, but, uh, this is what happens. They, uh, a, a situation arises and they, they in, in, invoke the, the power of the government to, to in, infringe on people's rights. And then they want to be applauded for it. And, and there I am listening to it and screaming into a TV, which no one can hear. And uh, no one seems to understand it anymore because most people watch mainstream television and they've been indoctrinated not only from television, but from the school system. But you are correcting that because now there is the Liberty First University, and you're going to start turning that around, and I hope you become a tsunami. Tell me about Liberty yes. First University. Uh, I, I assume it's not a brick-and-mortar-type place. No. no. And if you could tell us all about that, I'm really excited about that. Well, it's an online educational platform. It's self-paced so that anybody can take the courses in their own time. We actually have uh, workbooks that go with it. We have course con uh, instructions, so, and it's video. So it's video streaming, it's self-paced, it's good for anybody middle school and older. We have lots of middle school students, lots of homeschool students, high school students taking it now, college students. And it's basically what we're teaching now is the history of the Constitution, the origin of liberty. We're going to be teaching, we are teaching uh, the Constitution itself, the Bill of Rights, government, civics, philosophy, American history, uh, foreign history, all wrapped up in a single curriculum. And it is an, a, a curriculum based on historical truth. It's based on facts. And we eliminate all of the historical revision and government propaganda that you get in the textbooks today. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is we want to provide an education for the people in government, civics, philosophy, uh, uh, constitution, as if the founders themselves were teaching it. And what type of feedback are you receiving from your students when they read this? Uh, do you get any comments that um, uh, make you realize that you're doing the right thing, that, that you're enlightening people? Do you get any feedback? Well, you know, I've been teaching now for seven years. And for the last uh, seven, six, six and a half years on average, we've been averaging about 265 classes in over 22 states. So I've been traveling around the United States and people contact me through my website to book me to speak but we're finding that I am in so much demand that people are having to book a year in advance or we can't even fit them in. 
And so for the last four years, whenever we were speaking or trying to schedule a meeting, we always had people saying, Chris Ann, we need to duplicate you. We need more of you. We need you to be able to teach in multiple places at the same time. And so Liberty First University has been an effort in the making for years. It's been a, it's been a dream of mine for years it, as a way to duplicate what we're doing, actually expand because I'm teaching so many more classes uh, textually and, and sub, in subject-wise than I was able to teach on the road. And we're reaching lots of people. Uh, I have, I just got contacted by a history professor at a college in Tampa who is, is a student at Liberty First University who said, he said, my goodness, Chris Ann, I am addicted. He said, I, I, I cannot get enough of what you're teaching. I had another student contact me through Facebook and tell me that that he feels so empowered by the knowledge that he's receiving that he feels like he's been denied his whole life. And these are the things that we want to impart to the people. Americans feel powerless in their government today. We feel like Congress doesn't listen to us. Our vote doesn't count. And, and that's because we're not employing the right remedies and we are not identifying the right problems. And Liberty First University starts from the ground up to teach us how to ask the right questions so we can find the right solution. Yeah, yeah but what's interesting, and, and, and I'm, I'm in 100% agreement, and I applaud you for it, but I think one problem we have today is that the, uh, you know, I, I, I consider people that are being brought up today in today's public environment like zombies. I think that's the, 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 the walking dead movies are just metaphors for the way Americans think. I, and that's my opinion, but, and, and not that they're stupid, but they've been indoctrinated to think the wrong way. And um, uh, it, it almost scares me is when we say, geez, Congress is not listening to us, not doing what we asked them to do, because in my opinion, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think people really know what truly needs to be done. Now, you do. I have an appreciation for it. There's a small select group of people who do. But by and large, the general public, actually, what they are asking Congress to do is the antithesis of liberty in many cases. A am I way off base, Chrisanne? No, no, you're not. And that's why Liberty First University is the inoculation for that zombie effect in America. We are the cure. Uh, and a lot of the reasons why Congress isn't listening to us is because we have failed to ask the right questions. And we failed to possess the boldness to demand that we be heard in the manner the Constitution requires. As a matter of fact, we have a course on uh, we will have a course on the powers of the president and if of many of the things that we are in error of it's the what the president is allowed to do constitutionally what he's empowered to do constitutionally I have a radio show as well and during the presidential election I spent a week uh, I uh, absolutely going through ev uh, six presidential candidate platforms that they had on their websites not comparing them amongst each other, which is what the media likes to do. You know, how do the Democrats compare to the Republicans? But taking each individual candidate and comparing it, their platform to the Constitution, which is the only standard that we should be using. Right. And I found out that every single presidential candidate, Republican, Democrat, 
uh, Libertarian, uh, uh, Green Party, Independent. They were all, all their platforms were, were pretty much unconstitutional. And I started asking this question. I thought, but why? Why are all these platforms unconstitutional? And I came to the conclusion it's because a, presidential's plat- a presidential platform, the purpose of it is to answer the questions the people are asking. So are you going to lower our taxes? Are you going to take care of our military? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And that's what the platform does. However, the questions Americans are asking and expecting of their presidents are duties that are completely unconstitutionally based and the president has no business engaging in. Yeah. Now, the only person that I I, – I would categorize as a pure liberty candidate would be Ron Paul when he ran. And um, he's strictly constitutional, uh, totally free market guy. Uh, But during the debate, um, they never even asked him a question. In fact, I remember one debate, and I didn't watch all the debates, but I couldn't stomach them. But the one that I did watch, he was placed um, in the very corner. I mean, the TV was never on him. And 35, it was an hour debate, 35 minutes into the debate, he finally interrupted someone speaking and said, excuse me, will I ever be asked a question? Right. And, and the room went silent for a while. Then the moderator asked him a question. It was like, do you enjoy beating your mother type question, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know that type of question. Right, and, right. and it was so unfair. But then when they went back to the mainstream candidate, you know, they asked them the, the easy question, you know, well, do you think America will be great again or some stupid thing like that? You know, and the guy just blab, blab it on and they got a big applause. And I, um, I liken that to, I compare that. And I've done this on many programs where you look at the, um, the way the British do it. And uh, they have their debates where they um, – and I watched one of the British debates for the prime ministership, which is the presidency there. And the, the, the current reigning prime minister was placed where Ron Paul was placed at the very end. And the people who asked the questions was not a moderator, but the people on stage – so the liberal would ask a you know, conservative a question and vice versa. And it was a lot more interactive. They asked real questions, real concerns that reflected political philosophy. And it made our uh, debates just seem like a, a circus act. You know? And here we are, the country that broke away from Britain to be free, and now we are the entrapped people. Yeah, well, you know, they're they're not doing much better than we are, politically speaking, but I do appreciate how they, they run their elections. I also enjoy the way Parliament runs. They're a lot less civilized than we are. I, oh, <laughs> I think we need to get back to throwing chairs and, and, and you know, getting angry and that sort of thing. I, I think that we have way too much civility on on the House floor because we have too much uh, friendship going on, you know, they they want us to believe that they're opposing each other when in the background they're actually in agreement working towards the same goal. There's yeah. there's no there's no real difference between our uh, political parties these days. I mean, we're we're locked. Unfortunately, 
uh, as a whole, we have been locked into a two-party system for so long. And now, politically speaking, uh, maybe not according to their platforms, but the way they operate and the legislation that they create, they're really, really not that different. Yeah. I wrote an article about about understanding what the political parties are. And I think this has a lot to do with what we were talking about earlier, about asking the right questions and, and the ignorance that has overcome America. Uh, most Americans do not realize that political parties are not government entities. They're private corporate clubs. You know, we had this big uh, discussion and big debate over primaries and how the primaries are not fair and that sort of thing. Well, I think that's because most Americans don't realize that primaries are not a civic function. Primaries are a, a private corporate club choosing who will represent them in the general election, which is the civic function. But we've muddled all of that because we've allowed these private corporate clubs to have access to tax dollars to facilitate their private corporate club elections. Now, what is your opinion, in general, of Rand Paul? He's he's sort of in the shadow, shadows in a way of his of his father, and um, but uh, I I agree with him like eighty percent of the time. But sometimes I have a question, and I don't know if he because he's playing politics and he he can't alienate everyone. And I maybe he's smarter than <laughs> than his father in a way politically, but will, but the end will be the same. Do you have any opinion on that? You know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I agree with him sometimes. I, I don't agree with him sometimes. I really, really was upset with him when he endorsed Mitch McConnell over the, the more constitutionally sound candidate. And that was a, obviously a political move, as right. you said. I, I have a hard time, and this is just me personally, extending a great deal of respect to, to people who play the politics game. I'm, I, have, I have a three-pronged principle, liberty over security, principle over party, truth over personality. And I think that if I were ever elected to office in Washington, D.C., my, my office would probably be in a broom closet in the basement. My parking space <laughs> would be 10 miles from the Capitol. If I even made it that far, they didn't assassinate me on the walk there. Because I, I, I think it's time for our representatives to start representing us start representing the Constitution they take an oath to represent and stop representing political parties and gamesmanship. It's time to stop playing these games and start standing for real things. Yeah. But, but are, haven't we taken the, the same playbook as all of the dictatorships through the centuries that if you keep on saying the same thing over and over and over again, people start believing it and then they start repeating it they say mm -hmm. it constantly and it becomes a mantra and it becomes part of their very being like we're going to make america great again or you know if we don't kill them there they'll kill us here oh you know all these stupid sayings you know make absolutely no sense and there are people there there are zombies even in my studio here that walk they work but they're zombies and they actually think that way you know but i it, it's it's absolutely amazing to me I can't, it's difficult for me to go to a business meeting and say anything because every time I, it seems I say something, it's irritating someone, you know, it's because I'm not mainstream, you know, Republican or Democrat. I think, you know, free market and these are business people and they don't get it. 
that's what scares me. Well, you, we talked about this earlier on. It's, it's the, the miseducation that we have in America, that we've had in America for about 150 years. Some people want to take it back to the, the 60s. No, it goes way, way beyond that. We have been teaching error about how our government is supposed to operate for, for over 100 years now. And so when the scales of, of deception come across the eyes of the people. Truth is a blinding thing. Truth is a very psychologically disturbing thing. And so that's why Liberty First University is so important because we're not just simply teaching what, uh, uh, what is out there. We're teaching people how to think so that they can make these conversations, so they can make these arguments. Every course has a, an action that goes along with it, things that we can do, things that we need to do, because if all we're doing is teaching people uh, what to think and not teaching them how to think, that's how we get zombies. And, and then they get locked into this confirmation bias syndrome and cognitive dissonance sits in is what you're, you're experiencing. Ah, don't tell me that I don't want to hear that and and it and it's it really is offensive to the senses to find out that what you believe to be true for your entire life is simply not true but that's why we have to be diligent in taking back the narrative and speaking truth that's the one thing that really disturbs me about conservative media you have uh, what we call conservative media what we call liberal media but they're all running around using the same talking phrases right. and, and talking about the same narrative. We need, to stop, we need to start ignoring the hysteria and the lies and speaking the truth so that the light of the truth will defend itself. Yeah. You know, we hear on, on, on main, all the mainstream news everywhere that, for example, the situation in, in North Korea today, uh, solving the problem in North Korea is quite simple. You know, but if you mention the real way to solve the situation, resolve the situation in North Korea, they would consider you you anti-American. The only way we can solve the problem in in North Korea from mainstream media is really to nuke them first before they nuke us, which is insanity. And the whole situation is insane, but no one can see the insanity in, in the problem that they're creating. Yeah, they have a nuclear missile. Yes, they have a, a, a you know, nuclear bomb. They have an intercontinental ballistic missile. So what? For every one they have, we have 500. What does that prove? But no one, wants to, no one wants to talk to that. They just want to say they want a reason to go to war because that's where we make our money. I, unfortunately, am not making money on war. I lose money in war. That's why I hate it. <laughs> Well, you know, at Liberty First University, what we do is we teach what our, the designers of our constitutional republic had in mind when they were creating this America, these United States. And it was, it's very interesting when you look at their perspective on foreign relations. Thomas Jefferson and George Washington agreed on this particular aspect, and most of them fell into place in differing degrees. But the primary focus was that these, this America should be a, a 
commerce hub. You see, this is one of the richest resource places that our people had ever seen around the world. All the things they were jockeying for in China and in India, and all that, they were finding everything right here. And so Washington said it very well, Jefferson said it very well, that we should be allies to none, so we are enemies to none. We should just simply right. be a commerce place right. so that and, and, and Washington went so far to say is as soon as you become an ally with somebody, you're automatically an enemy to someone else. Right. So if we just keep our trade doors open and treat everyone equally in commerce, then we won't have allies and enemies and everybody won't want to be our friends. Yeah. But in, in that way, the politicians don't make so much money and the, and the citizens do. So that'll never work. Well, you know, and we still have to have the, the the Navy and the military because no matter where you go, there's always going to be wicked people who want to take what you have without, without compromise, without uh, commerce. So you have to have the walls of protection. But our framers never anticipated right. the continual ongoing right. war that we are in. As a matter of fact, I was – uh, I was reading up on James Madison's notes in the Federalist Papers about how Congress was supposed to be engaging in taxing and spending, and he spends a lot of time in this in Federalist 45. And most of Federalist 45 is geared to assure those in state government that the federal government can't grow and consume them, that the states will remain independent, sovereign governments because we've established these barriers and these protections. And Madison says near the end of Federalist 45 that the primary function of the federal government is in foreign affairs. Its most power will be derived in war. But since we know that we will be engaged more frequently in peace than we are at war, Madison assured the states that in peace the states had all the power and right. that they would, con they would hold all the power because war would be a rare thing rather than a frequent thing. Right. And very few people realize that the power is with the states and not the federal government, yes. that the president himself – really has no power at all other than to reject or approve what Congress, congressional legislation, and hopefully he, he disapproves of most of it. And, but today we look for the president to initiate legislation and for Congress to approve or disapprove it. It's all backwards, and the states are subjugated to the federal government, and that's all upside down and inside out. But that's what people truly believe. They feel like the president isn't doing enough. Every president has done much too much. Way too much, yes, according, especially according to the limited nature of our Constitution. I always tell my students, just go look at the Constitution. Article, I don't know if you can see my hands. Article 1 describes the power delegated to the legislative branch. Article two describes the power delegated to the to the executive branch, and Article three, which you can barely see here, describes the power delegated to the judiciary. In America, through our con uh, constitutional ignorance, we have flipped that upside down so that the judiciary bears the most power, the president then the next, and Congress the least. That was one of the things that we covered in my radio series on the powers of the president. We'll be having a course on that at Liberty First University as well. That the president is not the leader of America. 
and never was he intended to be. Right. He was the, the president was created, the executive office was created to be an ambassador on behalf of the states in foreign affairs and the executive for the laws that Congress creates that are in compliance to the Constitution. Right. The president cannot declare war. He has no power over the military until there is a formal declaration of war, and we haven't had one of those since World War II. Yeah. Well, we don't have to do. We don't have to declare war. We just send troops over there and airplanes. In fact, we don't have to do that. We send drones, kill thousands and thousands of people, innocent people, because what I love is a suspected terrorist. And when they say that, they say, whatever happened to that constitutional right of being innocent until proven guilty? Now, can you imagine saying, well? Uh, Bob here is suspected of committing a crime. Um, we're going to give him the gas chamber. Well, people would be in uproar, right? Obviously, you know. But yet, we can send a drone over to uh, uh, to a foreign country, especially in the Middle East, Qatar or uh, Yemen, especially. You know, copy bomb a certain neighborhood. Innocent men, women, and children are killed, and Americans will actually say, "Well, there was a suspected terrorist there." They cannot well, connect the dots. Well, it's bleeding into America now. We have political prisoners in America now who are incarcerated. Federal judges refusing to allow them any bail whatsoever simply because they peacefully protested the unlawful uh, occupation of our state land by the federal government. Yeah. And we have the Patriot Act being applied on our own soil. We have uh, indefinite detention being applied on our own soil. We have unlimited search and seizure being applied on our own soil. And it comes from not only the ignorance of the American people as to what their liberties are and where their liberties come from. They don't come from government. They don't come from men and they don't come from documents. They're an inherent right by the nature of our creation because we are created in an individual capacity. I am, I am born and I am not owned by any man. I don't have the power to own any man. And in my individual capacity, government can't have any power over me than I have over another person. Hmm. And so these are the fundamental principles that, that we're missing out on. And we're having these things happen to us because the American people are ignorant of their rights. And it's also a direct correlation with this this. Uh, unlawful expansion, expansion of judicial power. The judiciary has decided for decades now that if the government can prove what they call a compelling governmental interest, that anything that the government does can override our rights as long as they have a compelling governmental interest. So your right to be secure in your person's house's papers and effects is not really a right if the government can prove there's a national security interest that overrides that. And because of our own ignorance, we've, we've acquiesced to this. We, we are in compliance with this on a daily basis. We have allowed the government to take away something that is ours inherently, something they don't have the real authority to take away, but we have relinquished it in our ignorance. Hmm. Samuel Adams said this, he said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. Right. He said, but on the contrary, when the people get are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. America, Americans don't realize 
that we have lost more liberty with the actions of Washington, D.C. than any foreign enemy could dream in their imagination. I, I would never have thought that I could watch Russia television, Russian television, that is Russia, it's RT America, Russian television America, and they're all Americans that are, you know, who man the station and give the news that talk more about liberty, libertarianism, freedom, the Constitution on that station. And here we are, Russian television, talking about the free market and how the only thing that works is the free market and government intervention is bad on Russian television, but yet they won't allow that on American television. Now, it, it, it baffles my mind that I have to watch Russia television to find out generally what's going on. You know, I think things are, are beginning to change a little bit. Maybe, obviously not in the mainstream media where all the money is. Right. But we are, are actually making inways in other avenues. There's, there's greater cable presence for, and we, like we said, we have Liberty First University for the first time in seven years. I have been on C-SPAN twice now. C-SPAN covered my course on state sovereignty uh, from my book, Sovereign Duty. So C-SPAN has a, a channel called Book TV. And they first contacted me to cover my book, Sovereign Duty, and they actually came on site and filmed one of my classes on state sovereignty. And they're still running it on C-SPAN. And then August 6th, just this past August 6th, they had me on their in-depth program, which was a three-hour in-depth interview. They only gave me one bathroom break in three hours. Where, where we sat and talked for three hours about the things that you and I are talking about, people calling in with questions. And so we're seeing this, and, and I want to, to encourage everybody, we as a whole need to become better attached with the knowledge that Samuel Adams is talking about, like the knowledge that Liberty First University puts forward and the knowledge that you bring in this show so that we can have a boldness to stand up in public, no matter where we are, and speak this truth. Because I believe, and it's and I, and I, hard for me not to get really excited about this, but I really, really believe that we are making progress in, in, in uh, changing back the narrative. I have been put on the Southern Poverty Law Center's list of anti-government extremist hate groups. I've been on there for two years. I'm the only individual on the group. They have 997 groups and me as an individual. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a big moneymaker. I get accused of being funded by the Koch brothers. I get accused of being funded by George Soros. I get accused of being funded by the federal government. But I've, we're working on a shoestring here because I speak all our speaking engagements are done with no speaking fees. I don't make anybody compensate us. I don't make anybody pay us speaking fees or expenses. Everything that we do is out of pocket, which is one of the things that Liberty First University is going to help us do, you know, reach more people that way. But people don't realize that there's a passion to be had for the cause that we have and I think they look at the way we do things and they, th they think, well, nobody would sacrifice that much to do that. She must be getting money from somewhere else. But I can tell you most publicly, I've never received a check. And when it comes time to pay bills, it would be nice to get one, but I'm not yeah. getting them. But these are the kind of passions that, that will be insp inspiring the people when they get to know the truth and they know how powerful they really are. 
And I really, really, really believe that we're making a difference. You know, in the last five years, the Supreme Court and their opinions have quoted the founders of our Constitution more than I've seen them quote them in the last 150 years. Well, they do it wrong, mind you. They quote them all wrong and out of context. But at least they know they're trying to speak in the language that we want to hear. Well, I tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, um, you're, you're, we're going to send you a Liberty Talk radio at the end of this broadcast, okay? So I want everyone to know that we're, we're paying you for being on this program. Yay! And by the way, the coffee cup has my picture on it. You'll see me forever. forever. <laughs> but what do you do? We have some zombies in the, in the, in the studio who every answer, the answer to every, every single sub pointing at me. Uh, every every single conflict, you know, I say, this is reason. What are we in this country for? And I get the same answer. It's a zombie answer. It's a, they memorize it. It's to be a zombie, you have to memorize these answers. And they say that's because we're the um, we're the world's policemen. I you know I I, get so, I mean I get so befuddled when they say that. I say you know you. You can't possibly have a brain cell working and say that. I'm getting thrown, people have been throwing paper at me. But you can't have a brain cell working and say that. I mean, you can't because if you're, you'd be so embarrassed, you'd cry to yourself to death. How do you, I'm well, sure you've heard that. What, how do you respond so I get these zombies off my back? Well, it's very simple, actually. The Constitution of the United States is the legal operation of the federal government. So I would simply tell me, I would say simply show me the article, section, and clause in the Constitution that authorizes the federal government to be the police force of the world. Because if there is not an article, section, and clause that empowers the federal government to engage in that activity, then they do not have the authority to engage in that activity. It's an unlawful authority. All right. Okay, I'll try that. Hopefully they know how to read. Maybe they don't. I, I'm not sure at this point because I'm, I'm not sure to win anything. But we have a situation now in North Korea. Uh, I've, I, I've read so many, you know, freedom uh, websites that talk about North Korea, and they're all basically on the same page as to how to solve the, the situation in North Korea. I'd love to hear your version. Well, you know, I don't actually get into political policy from that perspective. We, are, we deal uh, exclusively with the Constitution, its history, and its application. Okay. So my answer to that question would very simply be, find what authority rests within the federal government through the law that created the federal government and work within those confines. If it is not enumerated as an authority within the Constitution, then the federal government does not have the authority to engage in that activity. Yeah. You know, the, sometimes the response I receive to that is say, well, times have changed and you have to change with the times. The world is a different place. You know, it is not a safe place today. And I go, of course. I mean, we're bombing everyone. It's, you know, no matter where you well, are, yeah. you have a good chance of getting a bomb thrown on your head and, and it's usually you know made in america so you're you're right in that regard but they actually believe but no, that. It, it's not right there it's it's an incorrect it's a false premise actually right. uh what i would love for people who believe that i would love them to go through my history of the constitution class uh, course. It's called the gene genealogy of the Constitution, where I start in the history of our Constitution from the year 1014 and move forward 
1789. And what everyone who, who attends this course understands is that history always repeats. It's not a matter of not knowing your history that causes it to repeat. History always repeats. But those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. Right. We were not any less violent then than we are now. Uh, the bar, anybody who knows anything about ISIS should know about the Barbary pirates. Right. And because we have more powerful weapons, relatively speaking, we had very powerful weapons then. Things that, that, that evoked fear in the hearts of men back then. And that's basically what we're talking about here, things that evoke fear in the hearts of people, this kind of destruction. And so they had to deal with these things. They've been dealing with these things since men created government in the very beginning. And so to say that these are different times is to be ignorant of history and to be ignorant of human nature because there is no brave new world. We are not experiencing anything new or novel. We are just simply repeating the same old scenarios with different people and different players. All right. If anyone in my studio decides would agree to take your class, I will pay for it out of my own pocket. Oh, that would be fantastic. No, I, yeah. would. I, I would. I mean, I just, because I can't get through to them because they, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know what you're going to say. That they're, they're still throwing paper at me, by the way. <laughs> I have such friendly people. Well, there's friendly zombies here. Uh, how would you characterize? The truth is so powerful. It, oh, it really is, and it is. It is absolutely life changing. Right. I can tell you, I teach the genealogy of the Constitution as an as a uh, a seventy five minute course on the road when I go and teach it at meetings, and I have had people come to me after learning just seventy five minutes, saying this was life altering. Right. I've had, I've had people who have PhDs in American history, uh, Supreme Court justices on the state level, people who have uh, master's degrees and PhDs in political science tell me they learned more in that 75 minutes than they did in their entire education. And that's something that we need to realize. Uh, I don't want anybody to come to the course if they're not willing to open their mind and learn. Because if you come and you're just combative to what you're doing, all you're doing is, is setting your precepts into stone, and it's not going to help anybody. Yeah. You know, we, uh, on this program, I'm very fortunate to have people that are uh, nationally, internationally known. Uh, some, many of them are multimillionaires, some are even billionaires, and there's one thing they have in common almost universally. Born in the United States, but not living here anymore. That's got to tell you something. I mean, these people don't move out of the United States because someplace else is a nicer place. They see what's happening to this country, and they don't want to be part of it when it eventually comes to fruition, which I'm afraid would maybe coming to the situation soon without economic situation being as bad as it is, although the mainstream media paints it as being a euphoric situation. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I have a, a large, diverse audience when I'm teaching, and especially as I teach this history of the Constitution class, I have had people who have come up to me after that class, immigrants from Austria, from Cuba, you know, from all over the world who, who have come to me literally in tears and saying, you know, I don't know where to go. I left this 
and I'm watching it happen. I had one man come to me from Cuba. He said, you know, if things keep going this way, I'm going to go back to Cuba and wait out the turmoil. I don't want to live through another uh, transition from uh, liberty to communism. I don't want to live through that. I had a man from Austria tell me, he said, you know, I saw this coming. He said, I, when in Austria, I felt like I was living in the middle of a train crash. He says, but here in America, I see the train crash coming right. and I'm screaming and I can't stop it from happening. And these right. people are telling me these things as tears are running down their eyes. Yeah. Uh, even my wife said, she said, she said, you know, uh, we're getting on in years. I, I, I know I seem like I'm only 16 or 18 years old. I'm a little older than that. But, you know, and, and my wife never thought this way before. But she says, you know, where are we going to live? I said, what do you mean? And she says, aren't we moving? <laughs> I mean, my wife, and she doesn't get involved in this stuff. And yeah. um, I tell you, if, if I went home this tonight and I said, we're moving to Ecuador, Singapore, you name it, New Zealand, you know, <laughs> I mean, she'd be packed in, in a New York minute. We have, excuse me, we have a telephone, we have a caller in, uh, what area code? All right, area code four four one seven. You're on the air. Your yeah, question, your question or comment, please. Uh, hello. How are you? How are you? Yes, your question or comment, fantastic. please. Yeah, yeah, I had a question about the uh, Barbary pirate situation that you were talking about earlier. Um, when you talk about Barbary pirates and what happened there, doesn't that kind of defend the idea of uh, interventionism, at least to an extent? And I mean, I know you say we're not supposed to be the policemen of the world, but how do we deal with foreign threats as a country then? Well, it's, it's interesting that you ask that because it's, I don't see that it's the same kind of thing. So what we had in the beginning and even before we created our, uh, these United States, we had the Barbary pirates actually coming on our coast and kidnapping people and enslaving them and engaging them in the slave trade. And so we had to stop that. Most people aren't aware that we actually, through the British government, paid a tribute to the Barbary pirates to keep them uh, at peace. And it was Jefferson who, who stepped up and said long before he was president, you know what, we got to stop paying these people and we got to defend our, our, our people from, from this attack. Uh, somebody would, I think maybe somebody probably would try to apply Jefferson's sending of ships uh, to Tripoli uh, as an intervention, but in reality, it was not. It was not an invasion. What Jefferson was doing by sending ships was protecting our trade routes. And so we had a commerce trade, and the ships were not there to attack the land. They were there to protect the ships in the trade routes. So it wasn't uh, in application like we are today, going over and fighting other countries' battles. As a matter of fact, both Washington and Jefferson were vehemently opposed to becoming engaged in other people's civil wars. But it was a matter of defending our commerce and our property as it moved across the sea. Okay. All right. All right. Can I ask one more question in that vein? Sure, sure. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, one of the things in the French Revolution, uh, I'd be curious about in terms of your opinion on uh, isolationism or what have you. Uh, it seems to me like whenever we tried to stay out of the French Revolution, we kind of kicked everybody off. 
Like the British were mad at us because we were trading, we're trading with the French, and the French were mad at us we were trading with the British. It seems like we don't make allies of isolationism. It seems like exactly the opposite. It seems like if we end up taking everybody off, we won't interact with anybody at all. Well, I believe you're using that term isolation as uh, inappropriately. I don't think that anybody has is talked about isolation here. It's about uh, it's about proper constitutional policy, and uh, I don't I don't think we're talking about a matter of isolationism. And uh, simplifying the French Revolution is uh, I think what you're doing is also oversimplifying the French Revolution. You know, one thing that we don't do in America enough of is we don't read Thomas's pain, uh, the rights of man, which is all about the French Revolution and that interaction. A lot of what we understand about the French Revolution, in in spite of our independence from Great Britain, was British propaganda being spread in America. And Paine gives a whole nother side of the story to the French Revolution. What I would say is that by not getting involved in the French Revolution, you will notice throughout history that we were not attacked by Britain and we were not attacked by France. The attack that Great Britain brought across America in 1812 was not about any uh, isolationism. It was about the British government refusing to recognize our independence from them. Most people don't realize that even though we went ahead with creating these United States and the Constitution, that period of time between our first uh, victory of, of, of freedom from Great Britain and the end of the uh, War of 1812 was actually a period where Great Britain still considered us their property. They kept coming and stealing our uh, resources offshore. They were making our American men serve in their Navy. And so we, we had a lot of different conflicts there with Great Britain. And we, I, I think in, you know, like I said, the short answer is that's an oversimplification and something that, that can't be addressed in just simply a few minutes. Okay, you said okay, uh, Thomas Paine's the right of man. Yeah. The man. Mm-hmm. All right, I will read that. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, no, it's – oh, man, I tell you what. I, to, to be honest with you, I'm as a teacher, I keep learning. And I picked up that book, and I kept saying to my husband, I kept saying, holy cow, why weren't we ever taught this about the French Revolution? Why weren't we ever taught that? See, Paine was living in France at the time of the French Revolution, and we had a – uh, a parliamentarian in Great Britain sending out all this propaganda, and Paine's book, The Rights of Man, is actually an apologetic answer to the British propaganda uh, being spread about the French Revolution. Now, obviously, Paine has a vested interest, so you have to read both sides and understand where the truth is in the middle. But I think the one thing that Paine's book did tell me is that I haven't been learning the truth. Chris Ann, I want to thank you so much for taking more of this time. I think it's fascinating. I think we can stay on for hours. I hope you will consider listening to talk radio, sort of like talk radio universities, an act of Liberty First University. How about that? 
That would be great. You know, you guys, you know how to get in contact with me. I've already, you know, we've done this before, and I already told Janet that I I love this forum, and I love you guys. I love talking to you. You have a great audience. You, I mean, you're a great uh, host, and uh, I, I'll i do this whenever you want, so just give me a call. Okay. Okay. Let me give you the last wrap things up, 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 up how they can reach you, a little bit about university, however you want to close it out, I'll leave it up to you. Okay, well, we have Liberty First University, which is at libertyfirstuniversity.com. You can, it, like I said, it's self-paced. There is a subscription fee. We have a reduced fee for students, high school and college students. So if you're a, a, a grandma going to college, you still get a reduced fee. Uh, and it's self-paced. You don't have to go to any university. And the, the wonderful thing is these classes are like I said, free of the revision and the government propaganda, but they're also delivered in a way that everybody understands them. You gotta think, I wrote this so that even a, a middle school student could take these classes and understand, but still then the guy with the PhD in American history finds it addictive, right? right so right. what we have here is an expansion, is, is, a, is a, an attractive display of truth and history that is accessible to everyone. We are adding new classes and courses every uh, couple weeks. We just added a course on the power of the purse just in time for all the congressional lies about the new budget crisis that's coming out so we can be educated and actually tell our congressmen stop lying to us and give us a budget. We, uh, we will have uh, upcoming courses on the history of America and slavery. We have a course coming up on state sovereignty. We even have a course uh, that my husband is teaching on the Christian's obligation to be involved in government, mm -hmm. which has a lot of misapplication today. He taught this class one time called the Christian's duty to disobey the government. It's a really, really fun class. We have lots of great things coming in the future. LibertyFirstUniversity.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can find me at chrisannhall.com. I've written five books. I have children's books. I have DVDs. We have so many resources out there just because we want to help you take back the narrative. We wish you we wish all the luck in the world. And America's, and America's quintessential iconoclastic drama and not only radio endorses you. you. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Until we see, see you again. You again. Good, luck. Good luck. Thank, thank you, you blessing. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Folks, at the end of today's broadcast, we'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support. Thank you, thank you for listening in. You can give us a call if you'd like. You can recommend this program to your friends and let us hear from you. Email your email address at convenio.com. Remember, if my wife would say you're allowing your ability to be taken away or you're striving to protect them, unfortunately, there is no middle ground. Next time, this is no Christianity.